In Luke chapter 3 and verse 15, the Bible tells us that the Jewish people were in expectation. And the expectation that the passage is referring to is the expectation of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ. In fact, there are several New Testament passages that echo the same sentiment. Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 4 Speaking of uh, Herod even, when he had gathered all of the chief priests and the scribes together, he demanded of them where the Christ should be born. The woman, at the, the woman of Samaria at the well said to Jesus in John 4 verse 25, I know that Messiah comes who is called Christ and when he has come, he will tell us all things. John 7 and verse 31, many of the people believed on him and said, when Christ comes, Will he do more miracles than these which this man has done? And Jesus himself asked the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? There is no question that the Jewish people were in anticipation of the Christ, the Messiah, literally the anointed one. And so one would think that when he came, they would have greeted him with joy and with open arms, but that, of course, as we know, was not true at all. In fact, many, if not most, of the Jewish people during the time of Jesus struggled with coming to grips with Jesus, with who he really was, and what he really came to do. They had a funda fundamental misunderstanding of what the mission of Christ was all about. The Bible in the Old Testament tells us what kind of Messiah Jesus was going to be. Isaiah chapter 53, perhaps the best known of all the Messianic prophecies, the Bible tells us that he was going to be a suffering servant. Micah chapter 5 in verse number 2, the Bible tells us that he was going to be born in lowly Bethlehem. He was going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse number 9. He was going to be crucified, rejected of his own, and crucified on a cross, according to Psalm number 22 and Psalm number 2. The real Messiah, the Messiah of Old Testament prophecy, is not the Messiah that the Jews had in their minds whenever Jesus was born into this world. And even the twelve struggled with this. Even the twelve struggled to wrap their minds around and to understand who Jesus really was and what following him was really all about. But being the Messiah, the mission of Jesus Christ, it always, always included the cross. I want you to look with me in your Bibles tonight in the book of Mark, and I want us to notice three passages Three times in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 8, verse 27 and following, Mark chapter 9, verse 30 to 32, and Mark chapter 10, verse 32 to 34. Mark 8, 27, to 30, uh, 27 and following, Mark 9, 30 and 32, and Mark 10, 32 to 34. Three times in the book of Mark, Jesus will reveal to the twelve that he is on the way to the cross. He will tell them about the fact that the Son of Man is going to be rejected, that he is going to suffer, and that he is going to be put to death, and that he is going to rise on the third day. 
And in all three of those occasions in which Jesus prepares the disciples for what's coming, you find the exact same discussion, but presented in a slightly different way. One would expect probably that, or perhaps that when Jesus announced that he was going to Jerusalem and he was going to be rejected and he was going to be crucified, that the reaction of the twelve would have been something like sorrow. But that's not the case at all. The reaction of the twelve in each case was a reaction that had to do with pride. And so in every one of these instances, immediately following Jesus, announcing his, uh, announcing the upcoming uh, crucifixion, in each case, Jesus had to teach a lesson about true discipleship. He had to teach a lesson about true humility, a lesson about true service, and a lesson about what being a Christian and following Christ is all about. The way of the cross. Let's look at these three contexts. First of all, Mark chapter 8, verse 27 to 30. Notice with me, What happens? Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse number 27, the Bible says, this will be a familiar context to us from Matthew's account, that when Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of of Caesarea Philippi on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, You are the Christ. He strictly warned them that they should tell no one. Now, if you're looking for an easy way to remember what goes on in the context, here's one way to do it. You can can circle verse 27 to 30 and write down, I am the Christ. I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. I am the one whom the prophets have foretold. I am the one whom we all have been looking forward to for so many generations. Now, what does that mean? That comes in verse 31 through 33. Jesus says, or the Bible says rather in verse 31, now here is his announcement. I am Christ. Here's what that means. It means that I'm going to suffer. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly, the text says. Then Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. I am Christ, 31 to 30, uh, excuse me, 27 to 30. Here's what that means for me. 31 to 33. And what does it mean? It means that I'm going to suffer and that I'm going to be crucified. Now, Peter had a problem with this. The Bible tells us that Peter took Jesus to the side and began to rebuke him privately, but Jesus rebuked Peter publicly. And Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. And then he tells us something about what was motivating Peter. Look at the end of verse number 33. He says, you are not mindful of the things of God, but you are mindful of the things of men. The idea of the terminology is that uh, Peter's mind was fixed on the physical. You see, this is the passage that unlocks for us why the twelve and why the Jews as a whole struggled so much with trying to come to grips with the fact that the Messiah was going to suffer and be crucified and resurrect on the third day. And that is because their, their image of the Messiah was not the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. 
who is going to be born in Bethlehem of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 and ride into Jerusalem according to Zechariah chapter 9 and be rejected and be nailed to a cross according to Psalm 2 and Psalm 22. Their idea of a Messiah is one who is going to redeem them in a physical way. One who is going to sit on a physical throne and one who is going to bring them to a position of physical prominence. And that cannot happen if your Messiah is going to be crucified or is going to be put to death in the most humiliating way possible. I am the Christ, verse 27 to 30. Here's what that means for me, verse 31 to 33. Here's what that means for you, verse 34 to 38. The way of the cross, according to Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 38, is a way of sacrifice. The Bible says that when Jesus had called the people to himself and his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Note the connection of verse 34 to 38 with the passages that go before Jesus said, I am the Christ, I am the anointed one. And what that means is that I did not come to offer physical deliverance, I came to sacrifice. I came to lay my life down for your sake and to deliver you, not not physically, but to deliver you spiritually. And if you are going to be ashamed of that fact, Mark chapter 8 and verse number 38, then the Son of Man is going to be ashamed of you. Notice the language of sacrifice in verse 34 and following. Jesus says you're going to have to deny yourself. Jesus says you're going to have to take up your cross and follow him. Jesus says you're going to have to lose your life for his sake in the Gospels. That's everything that Jesus just said he was going to do himself in verse 31. The way of the cross is a way of sacrifice. If I'm going to follow Christ in the way that that is appropriate, then that means I'm not going to be able to follow Christ and the things of this world simultaneously. That's what Peter was trying to do. The flesh and the spirit, they fight against one another, according to Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 17. And to be spiritually minded is life and peace, but to be carnally minded is death, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8. If I'm going to follow Christ, if I'm going to follow in the way of the cross, then that means I have to put Christ first, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, that his desire and his will and his wishes become my desire and my will and my wishes as Peter, or excuse me, Paul expressed in Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 and following. The way of the cross is a way of sacrifice. What are we willing to sacrifice in order to follow the Lord? That's the question of the passage. Now let's look at the next one. Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 30 and following. Mark chapter 9, verse 30 and following. This is Jesus' second prediction of his death. The Bible says, Then they departed from there, and they passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. 
and after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying, and they were afraid to ask him. An interesting question would be, why were they afraid to ask him? If you go back and you read from the uh, point that we left off in Mark chapter 8 all the way up to this point in Mark chapter 9, you will notice that Jesus has not been very easy on them as it pertained to their spiritual hardness. In fact, Jesus has a lot to say in the book of Mark, especially in the context of Mark chapter 8 and following about being spiritually dull or spiritually hard-hearted. And all of that, again, is captured by what Peter said or what Jesus said about Peter, rather, in Mark 8. That your mind is fixed on the things of the world or things of the flesh and not on spiritual things. Well, the next passage then tells us that although they were afraid to ask Jesus what the saying meant, verse 31, that when they finally arrived in Capernaum, he asked them, what were you just talking about among yourselves? What did you dispute about? They kept silent, for, uh, for, but they kept silent because on the road, here's what they were disputing about. They were arguing about who would be the greatest. It's kind of hard to imagine, I guess, that you could be following with Jesus as he went, went along ministering and you're with him as he is on his way to Jerusalem, as he is on his way to the cross. He's already told you once that he's going to be crucified. And now he's told you a second time. And the thing that comes to your mind is who will be great, who will be great in his kingdom. Well, that makes sense if your view of a Messiah and your view of his kingdom are physical, worldly. Look how Jesus answers them. Jesus said, if anyone desires to be first, he'll be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and he set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Think about the image of a child for a moment, and you'll begin to see the point that Jesus is making. A child is completely dependent upon his parents. A child is vulnerable. A child has no physical power to speak of, and yet he is the model that Jesus takes and sets before the eyes of the twelve. And why? Because the way of the cross is a way of humility. It's a way of sacrifice in Mark chapter 8. It's a way of humility in Mark chapter 9. The 12 are thinking not about the death that Jesus is going to die, but they're thinking about what their position might be in his kingdom. They're thinking all about power. They're thinking about being exalted themselves. And Jesus is simply pointing out to them that the way up is down. And that before God can use you, you must recognize your smallness in his sight. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When Jesus uses the term poor, he's using a term that describes literally a beggar. We're not talking about someone who barely has enough to make ends meet. We're talking about a word that describes someone who can't make ends meet at all. He has to beg for every scrap that he gets. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he is talking about those who recognize their true place before God. 
He is talking about those who recognize their smallness in the sight of God and who look to God as the one who provides everything that they need in life. Before God can use me, I must recognize my need for him. Isn't that what Philippians chapter 2 is all about? The Apostle Paul says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others, he says. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind is that, Paul? It's a mind of humility, a mind of sacrifice, a mind that puts the needs and the benefits of other people ahead of his own. And that transitions neatly into the third context. Mark chapter 10, verse 32 to 34. The third and final announcement of his impending death in the, in the gospel account of Mark, Jesus says, or the Bible tells us, that when they were on their road, on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed, and as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside, and he began to tell them the things that are going to happen to them. He says, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, They will condemn him to death, and they will deliver him to the Gentiles. They will mock him, they will scourge him, they will spit on him, they will kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Next passage. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand, the other on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? He's speaking, of course, about his uh, suffering and crucifixion. They said to him, We are able. So Jesus said, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism that I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it's for, uh, it is for those uh, for whom it's prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark chapter 8. Son of Man is going to be crucified. Peter said, don't talk like that. That can't be so. Jesus said, Peter, you're valuing the things of man. And if you really want to follow me, then you're going to have to sacrifice the way that I'm going to sacrifice. Mark chapter 9, the Son of Man is on his way to be crucified and to resurrect on the third day. And the twelve are arguing about who is going to be greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus said, if you're going to be great in the kingdom, if you're really going to follow me, the way of the cross involves humility. Mark chapter 10, the Son of Man is on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified and to raise on the third day. 
and Peter and James, or rather James and John, are interested in sitting with Jesus on both his right and his left hand, and the other ten see it, and they become They become angry with them. Why? Probably because they beat them to the punch. And they think that they're going to get a better position than the other ten are. And Jesus says, you don't understand. The way of the cross is the way of service. Mark 10 and verse 45 most likely is the uh, purpose statement for the book of Mark. Jesus is not giving instructions in Mark 8, 9, and 10 that Jesus himself is not carrying out on his own. Jesus tells them that that whoever desires to be first is going to be slave or is going to be servant of all. The emphasis is on service. John chapter 13, when they arrive in uh, when they arrive in Jerusalem, what will Jesus do? Jesus will wash their feet. Why will he wash their feet? Because he'll tell them that I have given you an example so that as I have done to you, you may do to one another, you may do to others. What's the point? The point is get your hands dirty in serving the Lord and in serving other people. Did Jesus serve? The Son of Man, he says, did not come to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The way of the cross is a way of sacrifice, Mark 10, 45. The way of the cross is a way of humility, Mark 10, verse 45. The way of the cross is a way of service, Mark 10, and verse number 45. So when we think about what it means to follow Christ, when we think about what it means to truly be a Christian, we ought to think about these three things. We ought to think about sacrifice, we ought to think about humility, and we ought to think about service. Jesus said in Luke 17 and verse 10 that when we've done all that we've been commanded to do, we're still unprofitable servants for we've only done that which was our duty. The way of the cross is not a way of popularity and power, but it's a way of humble service and sacrifice and suffering. The apostles struggled with that point. The Jews struggled with that point. And I would suggest to you that there are still people even in this world, perhaps even in the body of Christ, who struggle with that point. I think often about the rich young ruler and the fact that he came to Jesus and he said, Uh, Lord or Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus would say to him, you know the commandment, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. He would say, I've done all of these things since my youth. What do I lack yet? And he said, you lack one thing yet, sell all your goods and give the proceeds to feed the poor. And the Bible says that he went away sorrowful. I often think about that rich young ruler, and the question that I, that I ponder is, what exactly was he expecting Jesus to say when he asked the question? Now, of course, there's no way for us to know that for sure in this, in this world, because the Bible doesn't tell us, but I think we can say one thing for sure, we know what he did not expect him to say. We did not expect him to say, or he did not expect him to say, rather, sell all that you have and give the proceeds to feed the poor. Otherwise, he wouldn't have went away sorrowful. What's the point? The point is that often we have, just like the 12 and just like the rich young ruler and so many others, we have this this image, this idea of who Jesus is that's within our minds. 
We have this idea of who he is and what he requires and what being a Christian really is all about. Then we open up God's word and we come face to face with the truth of who he is and what he requires. And many times the truth does not match up with what our perception is or was. And it's at that point that we have to make a decision. Either we're going to be like the rich young ruler and turn away and go away sorrowful. Or we're going to be like these 12 who eventually, on the other side of the cross, will recognize what they, re- what they fail to see in Mark 8, 9, and 10 before the cross. And that is that their thinking had to change. That their life had to change. That, it was no, it, 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 that following Christ wasn't about having some physical power or prominence or anything physical at all, but rather it is all about sacrificial and humble service to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. And the rewards are not seen in this life. The rewards are seen in eternity. That's the way of the cross. Now the question that's left for us to consider this evening is simply whether or not we have chosen to follow it. That starts by obeying the gospel, by believing in Jesus and repenting of sins and being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins so that the Lord may add us to the body of Christ. Tonight, if you've done that but you've failed in your followership of Jesus Christ, the way of the cross is not so much to you sacrifice and humility and service as it is perhaps something more of a physical nature. Find your way back home. And if we can help you to do it, we invite you to come forward and let that be known while we stand and sing together.